Folks, welcome back to another episode of Into the Storm Leaders. I'm excited to introduce you today to Jim Tennant. He's a professional EOS implementer who works with us here at Culture Shock, and he's got a great story about how he was first introduced to the entrepreneurial operating system. He was actually a client of ours before he became a member of the team. Prior to that, Jim has done a bunch of different things, held a number of senior leadership roles as he grew, scaled, and sold multiple businesses. Like every episode, I hope that you get something valuable out of this that you can take and apply immediately to help you level up as a leader. Stick around for this one. He's got some takes that I'm sure you're going to want to hear. Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host and catalyst for growth joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives, join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Into the Storm Leaders podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Jim Tennant. He's on the team at Culture Shock, certified in Six Sigma, I believe. Six Sigma Black Belt. Six Sigma Black Belt, member of our EOS implementation team, and has some really cool stories that I'm excited to share with you today. Jim, I will kick it over to you and just let you say hi, introduce yourself, uh, and then we'll get into personal best and business best, but Jim Tennant. Thank you, Joe. So Jim Tennant, as you said, I've been with Culture Shock here for almost exactly five years. Okay. Been doing this for a while, and I've been in business for a while. I started out as an engineer, woke up one morning and discovered I was a businessman instead, or in, in addition to. And met Ron, Kimberly, the rest of the team here through a business. Ron was our implementer to start some time ago and just fell in love with the process and the people. And here I am today. We're going to dig into that because your joining Culture Shock was unique in how you were exposed to the entrepreneurial operating system for the first time. But you also, you not only helped us kind of round out and balance better because of some of your action modes and experience and things that we had discussed in a previous episode when we were digging into Colby, but it also made Culture Shock really unique in that we are a firm of EOS implementers when most are solo. Right. So I think that's something you joined about five years ago. Kimberly was shortly before. Yes. And Ron was the, the founder of Culture Shock, but the, a lot has happened since then. Oh, my. And we, we've grown quite a bit through clients, through also humans that are a part of the team, me being one of them. And I want to talk a lot today about like your the impact you've seen it make with some of your clients and any recommendations that you have or, or components of it that have been most meaningful for you. Before we get there, and that'll be uh, towards the end of this interview, 
I want to just learn more about you. I think this is a, a cool opportunity for me to maybe share some things, learn some things that we don't yet know about each other, even though we've worked together for the past year and a half. And in what I do know about you, I think our listeners are going to be fascinated by it as well. And there's some things that they can pluck value from without having to look too hard in just how you plotted your own course and got to where you are today. So we often start our meetings off here in Culture Shock with personal best, business best. You've been busy. I've been busy. We haven't seen each other too frequently. Why don't we start it out that way? Uh, and tell me, Jim, since we've last had an L10 meeting or since we've last gotten together, what would be your personal best and business best? So business best is new teams. I love bringing on board new teams, meeting new to be new people. Uh, and I've been doing quite a lot of that recently. At first session with people, meeting with some new teams that are now booking to start. That's always exciting. But in addition to that is the annuals I do with people. There are two-day events, and they are just intensive, tiring, wear you out, but so valuable. I leave a two-day event. I have you get so many thousand words to speak. I have zero words left when I come from there. Uh, I drive home quietly. I sit in my chair quietly and I wait for the next day. But uh, just so rewarding and so satisfying yeah. for the teams as well as for me. Focus day. Is it? All right. So I, I, I would say get in the way of personal best, but I don't think we've actually touched on this or what the cadence or process is for EOS centric meetings. So when you're talking about new interactions, new teams, new clients, generally starts with? Starts with focus day. Okay. We actually have three sessions about a month apart that get you as a team verse grounded in what we call the foundational tools. But the first day we call it focus day, and it is all about five basics that you need to, need to know to get started. Okay. I always tell my teams, hey, this is one of those bathtub hockey stick type curves where it's going to get a little worse before it gets better simply from workload. There's a lot to learning this. It is simple, Joe, but not easy. So we do those first three sessions. So we do focus day, 30 days later, we have our second session. 30 days after that, we have our third session called vision building days. And those are intensive. They're challenging, but they really get people fired up. Yeah. Like you said, sets the foundation Absolutely. for what to expect, gives everybody that kind of ba baptism Good to, word. to the different tools and, and what the system is. And then after that third session, then what? Then we meet on a core basis. And then once a year, there's a two-day review and planning session. Makes sense. And it's, it's intensive. And even in the midst of that, I want to take the teams out to dinner. We want to stay in that moment. So we end the first day always on time so that we have enough energy and battery left to finish, finish that second day really strong. Yeah. So I'm exposed with us operating on EOS, not to the focus day, not to the vision building day and those first three sessions, but really to the quarterly annual cadence. I've now been a part of one annual mm -hmm. and been a part of quite a few quarterlies. So some of your business best then it's, you've had more focus days. Yes. Right. So that First connections, laying the groundwork. I, I can see why you'd like that too. Just getting to meet with a new team and see some of the light bulbs, some of the ahas, right? Oh, you see their eyes light up. How about personal best? Personal best. So two weeks ago, 
just returned from an eight-day vacation in Canada. This was with my son-in-law and oldest grandson. Oldest grandson is 15 years old. He's, this fall, he'll be 16. We had planned this when he turned 13. Of course, COVID interfered. Yep. But it was a pure camping adventure. We were in a cabin, but you carry your own water. The only electricity, we had two battery-powered lights that charged up through the day, and you could use them at night until the battery ran down. <laughs> but it was great. It was a fishing trip. One of the things I liked best, and maybe we'll talk about this a little later, but my son-in-law asked me, he said, hey, Dad, could you just pour some wisdom into this boy? Some things that you would have liked to, to hear when you were 13 to 15 years old. Yeah. A wonderful opportunity. And he's a great guy. He's, he's incredible. Guy. He's amazing. I got to meet him, too. Did you guys go golf? We oh. did not. We did not go golfing while we were going. Well, he probably does enough of that. He does get out and <laughs> golf uh, occasionally. We, I, I met. I met him when we had a team outing, mm -hmm. as you all know, and I got a good foot on him, maybe foot and a half, it felt like, because quite the age gap, and he's rocking it, like <laughs> eating everyone. We've got some avid golfers that, that were there, and he's just insanely good, so it's probably nice to do something other than that right. together and have that quality time. It was fun. It was yeah. fun. We just brushed elbows in the, in the hallway after then, but didn't hear much else about it. So very cool, man. Yeah. I'm glad you had a good time. Thank you. I had a similar for my personal and business best. My personal best also had a cabin experience, but I'd say it's more glamping. Okay. Then we, we were not bringing your own water. There was plenty of electricity. <laughs> but my wife's family has now been getting cabins and, and going out to a small town near Erie, Pennsylvania with a lake. And this year we had somewhere near 80 people. In the group photo, there were right around 70 and some people had already left, but uh, there's about 20 or so cabins. I think we rent almost every single one of them. <laughs> I just got back a couple of days ago, but uh, I think the kids outnumbered the adults this year. So personal best for sure, just got back. And then... Business best, some of the same. I think when I previously met with Kimberly, I'd said the podcast, and that's still right up there. But some of these new interactions, some of the the new clients that I feel fortunate enough to have trust in us to bring us into kind of an intimate setting or issues that they're having to problem solve and work through some stuff. And I, I have a few teams right now where I'm working with their emerging leaders and a couple new ones where it's that same, that's why we do what we do. It's mm -hmm. we're united by discover, engage and grow leaders. So when we can introduce something and help somebody, I know that gives all of us a rush. So I'd say that's been the business best as well. Very good. More about you though. And I'll, I'll shut up a little bit because I, I do really want to give you a chance to tell the listeners and, and you know, me uh, more about you. How about, First job, worst job. Okay. All right. If First we're going to get to job. where you are today, tell us about, it can be both. They don't need to be the same place, but tell us about your first job. Tell us about your worst job. So my first job, because I've got a few years on you, Joe, so this has been a while back. Four. <laughs> You're very kind. I was working for the farmer next door. I was 12 years old. He paid me exactly $1 an hour, and I did anything you can think of on the farm. We did. We bailed hay. We chased animals. We put up fence. We cut wood. We 
fixed equipment. I did everything but drive the equipment. He always did that. As opposed to some other people that drive when they're like, I don't know, four years old, they're driving farm equipment. Strangely enough, it's also my worst job. A teenage boy, 13, 14 years old. If you know the difference between bulls and steers, it involves a veterinarian usually and some amount of, let's call it surgery, right? So part of it is somebody has to put a rope halter across the, the calf's head and you hold them tightly while they make the bulls gender neutral. Let's put Yikes. it that way. Yeah, that was not my favorite job. In fact, that was the worst job, uh, especially for a teenage boy. You got any pictures? No. One of, <laughs> <laughs> one of these. Don't endeavors. want any. <laughs> uh, oh, I can't say that sounds desirable. So that was the first and the worst then. Yes. That makes sense. Yes. I'd shared that my first was Dairy Queen in a previous episode, but I don't think I shared my worst. And it's a, there's a boxing match for what that could be. I've had my fair share of interesting experiences, but I would go back to one of my earlier year jobs as well, because I worked in a telemarketing office. Oh. And it was, there were some advantages. It, it was, I think at the time, $15 an hour or something when I was making five thirty-five. before that. I was like, whoa, what is this? But that not necessarily the most savory of characters that I was around. I was still in high school at the time. There was this incentive where for every referral you brought in, you got an extra dollar an hour. That's what it was. So it was like $10 an hour, but I had like five referrals, which brought it up to like 15. So I tolerated the pain of calling to get donations for different organizations when only a small portion went to them, mm -hmm. how most of them are, right? And what I didn't know any better at the time, but after I was there for a little while, I was like, can I still get the... $5 an hour for my referrals, even if I'm not working at all, because I just can't really be in this place anymore. It was a morbid experience, but, you know, shaped me in some way. Fire right? by fire, right? Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> it just bang the phones. Get your $22 donation. It, the, one day, kid you not, the GM of the office is, we're going to do Survivor today. Whoever is the lowest at the end of the day is fired. Ooh. And we're like, there's no way he's following through with it. He followed through with it. I was like, wow. Talk about fear-based yeah. leadership before I knew anything about that, but made for some good stories. Yeah. By the way, we don't do that in EOS or into the storm, right? No, no, that, <laughs> no survivor. No survivor. Uh, I, I can't really, I could think of an application. There's better ways to do it. There are better ways to do it. Absolutely. What characteristics for you make up peak leadership and when I say that, does a, a person, an experience, a story come to mind? We, we do this every interview because there's such value in talking about what it looks like to each person and how we can be more aware of leader for others. So take it away and tell me. Oh, wow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two facets here, Joe. Sure. One is from a personal life kind of thing. So I'm a strange duck in a lot of ways. My wife and I met each other in the fifth grade. She was a transfer student from a different school. And we started, our first date was a junior high dance. After that, of course, we're junior high. We didn't go beyond that. In high school, we started dating again, high school sweethearts, a small high school in a very small town. 
And from that one graduating class, there were five couples that married somebody else in the class. A couple have passed away, but other than that, we're all still together. No way. And my wife had a very difficult childhood. And I still remember before we were married, she said, I will break this cycle. And she said it in a quiet, humble way. And if you describe matriarch of a family, it's her. And wow. she is one of the most humble, self-effacing, but determined people I know. So from a personal point of view, she would sit here. She's going to be embarrassed to death if she ever hears this. But she is the quiet servant leader. And time after time, I've taken cues from her. One, I mentioned my dad. He was, he was a bigger-than-life personality, man of very few words. If I did my hierarchy, it's like Jesus, Jim Tennant, John Wayne. My dad's Jim Tennant as well. And it's just that kind of a hierarchy. And he fit that. I've never operated under the false illusion that my dad was perfect, but I learned the very best things from him. And there have been so many others in my life that I've been blessed with some real difficult times, not personally, but just being involved with them. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer that God never wastes a crisis and we shouldn't either. So learning from those is just an amazing thing. I've had some really good business leaders. Some of them people I worked for, some of them that I worked with. Uh, one that I'm going to mention is Jim Kite. Jim Kite was, I went to work at Thermodisc, which is an Emerson Electric company. Okay. Jim was an outside salesperson when I went to work there, eventually became president. And then Emerson had what they called group vice presidents, where you basically were responsible for multiple companies. And those companies had multiple international divisions. And Jim became a group vice president. The reason I'm talking about him is he taught me things. To this day, I can call him up and say, hey, Jim, I'm in this situation. What would you do here? And he'll share. Even to the point that I was working at a small company, less than $10 million, we needed somebody new for our board. And I told our owner, I said, who'd be great. I doubt we can get him. Jim is still a member on that board. <laughs> no way. Phenomenal person. I learned so many good things from him. Uh, again, a man of few words, but knows and believes what he says. You, you hit that a couple times. And it's funny, Ron Kaminsky, when defining peak leadership, he also said something to the effect of soft-spoken or concise. I'm working on it. I'm quite <laughs> verbose. Oh, I uh, talk way too at much. Times. I was going to say, where, did you get all their words? Uh, your awesome, very touching and cool sentiment about your, your wife and the relationship that both of you have. And then Jim being, Jim Tennant and Jim Kite being, having major impact on your life and that being such a common trait, did you just say, can I have whatever's left over? <laughs> I uh, do. I do like to tell stories. <laughs> how would you boil it down outside of the soft-spoken or kind of way, when you use fewer words, they mean more and uh, that sentiment and recurring theme. What other characteristics would you say in maybe in Jim in particular for this one? And just when you think of peak leadership, how would you define that? What are the characteristics you look for uh, that you strive to emulate yourself? If I could come back and have people tell me, hey, Jim, this is what I think about you, 
that I would be really pleased, it would be trust. Jim, we know we can trust you. And I think in all of these people, trust is paramount. And it comes from humility. Yeah, I talk a lot and I tell a lot of stories, but Joe, I don't forget where I came from. And I think that keeps me grounded. Am, am I being, am I bragging about my humility? Is that what I'm doing here? No. But I think that humble, all of these guys, my dad retired at 47 years old. He had a place in Florida, a place up on Lake Erie, a home where they lived. How many people do that, right? But nobody that met him ever thought he was anything than just a good guy. Yeah. Jim Kite, same thing. I've heard him tell people in public stories of what he felt were failures that nobody else, business failures. He'd say, you know what kept me awake? And then he would go into depth of something that we thought just bounced off. So he was humble enough to share what he considered not a success and vulnerable enough to share it with us. Hmm. So I think that would be two things near the top of my list, Joe, humility and trust. And for good reason. There was a great way of putting it. They're paramount yes. to leadership, to connections, to team dynamics, relationships in general, right? Mm -hmm. You hit on something so important like that we talk about a lot, and it's that making space for mistakes by advertising your own. Because often leaders wear armor, right? There's right. just, whether it's something that is subconscious or even deliberate, probably different for different people, but where they refuse to open up and share because they're afraid of how it's going to be perceived because they, they think that will take away some of their shine, their strength, their... Um, credibility as a leader and it's quite the opposite right absolutely but if you don't make space for somebody else to make a mistake or if you don't broadcast and advertise some of your own like how jim does mm -hmm. i'm gonna need to specify jim kite does right right then others aren't gonna feel like there's a space to do so it, absolutely. it doesn't you can't build that trust right i think that those two go hand in hand in fact, I'll tell you a story about another leader who's not named Jim. How about that? There we go. That'll make it easier for me. Bruce Hendrick. Bruce Hendrick was the owner of a company called RBB. Okay. And he brought me in as a general manager, then president. The day I walked in, our offices were side by side, big whiteboard on the wall in Bruce's office. The day I walked in as my very first day on the job, on his whiteboard in big red letters, it said, I don't know, have you asked Jim yet? I have never, ever received that kind of a gift when I was moving into a new position, especially one that was leadership and authority. Yeah. And what Bruce did there was say, I trust Jim. He also said, I'm letting go of this vine, that phrase from our EOS and yep. other talks. And here's the thing. I don't know if I could have done it. That was an amazing thing. Now, Bruce Hendrick, in addition to owning RBB, also runs Building Trust. He teaches how to do this. Yeah. But amazing thing. And to this day, he and I, we're still good friends. In fact, I'm on his board, but we'll talk about this. And he'll say, yeah, people would come to my office and they would look in with their mouth open to say something. They'd look at that board and they'd shake their head and go back out because they knew he was going to follow up with, I don't know, have you asked Jim yet?
That's brilliant. Oh, he is brilliant. It's a he simple way to empower because we so often talk about when you get asked a question, you respond with, what would you do if I wasn't here? How would you handle it if you weren't able to come ask somebody else? Because we want people to think for themselves. We want them to uh, go through the right process or chain of command, I guess, in a sense. But that on day one, that was a deliberate action he took is, is freaking awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> that, that's awesome. delegation at its finest. Absolutely. So that was at RBB. Tell us then more between the childhood jobs and things like that. Tell us about your path, your okay. journey, some of the biggest steps along the way. And I'm sure the listeners will be curious to hear what you did at some of these different places and how that got you here. Okay. So I have done a variety of jobs over the years. I've been in pipeline construction. I've been in farming. I did some engineering. I went to school while I was working. I got my degree while working full-time. Okay. Electronic engineering, computer science. I was from, you go see the guidance counselor in the seventh grade, Jim, what do you want to do with your life? Yep. I knew I wanted to be an engineer. It just was obvious to me. I couldn't figure out why the other kids didn't know. I was a weirdo. Was it the affinity towards working with your hands and building and cre creating? Or what drew you to? That's a great question. Uh, two things. One was... Just that I like to, to this day, I love to build a machine or a mechanism to do something. That's yeah. just fun for me. I do that and word working in my spare time. But the other part was the electronic side of it because it was not something you could see. You had to figure it out. You can't see electricity flow like you can water or a metal part move or something. Yeah. You had to figure it out. You, it was a challenge. You had to know what you were doing. Uh, in fact, when I talk to young people today, I tell them engineering is not making something work. It's making it work every time. And that's the difference. If you're a good engineer, you can make it work every time. Now, that being said, I did some pipeline construction. I did farming. I did these other things. I also worked. It, this is a long list, Joe. I don't think we have time for it. Let's but. let it roll. Let it roll. Uh, <laughs> so I'm in Ohio. Mostly in Ohio. Yes. Okay. Although I've worked all over a couple continents. Okay. North America and Europe, tiny amount. England and Germany a little bit. Okay. But just great stuff. So I've worked a lot of different places. I worked in office supply. I worked uh, a little while in, in, I worked at a gas station until I got robbed at gunpoint. I, I've done a lot of different things. What I didn't gain from all this was one area of expertise which is a detriment, but I also think the diversity has given me some real strengths. I can see things from a lot of different angles. So fast forward, I was doing engineering. I was doing all this work. I was actually at Thermodisc and was offered a role, a good role in another plant in another state. And I had one girl just started college, one girl finishing up high school, daughters, and decided uh, the smartest thing to do would be quit my job and start a new business. So that's what I did. Nice. And it was an engineering business. We did automation systems for industrial systems, for manufacturers, other people. But shortly after that, it was almost literally, I woke up one morning and discovered, yeah, I still love engineering, but I'm a businessman now. It's what I do. Others are depending on me to know how much money do we need to make? 
I got to the point, Joe, where every Monday morning I knew how much revenue we had to make to break even that week. I, even to this day, I encourage every business owner, have that number in your head in Monday morning. Just to look at it that way. Just look at it that, that way. Have that pulse yeah. of what's happening in your business. Exactly. Exactly. After that, then it became, okay, what can I do with this business? So I built a couple small businesses. I did some startups for other people, bought and sold a couple businesses, helped people buy and sell a couple businesses, learned something at every step. And at every step of the way, I've had great managers or CEOs or owners who have just uh, helped me beyond measure would go way out on a limb and send me for training that nobody else had asked for or probably <laughs> would be afraid to ask for. They've sent me to M&A schools. They sent me to my black belt school at uh, Akron University. Yes. Just great stuff. It really has been a blessed life. It really has. I'm not the most wealthy person, but I'm certainly the richest. With my family and everything else, it's just, it's a rich life. All those things coalesced. And I will tell you, even in buying, building, buying, and selling businesses, I always felt like I was moving up the chain. And then I had a owner CEO and he insisted on what you, what he called an off season. As a higher level leader, he wanted you to take a week. You went somewhere on your own. It wasn't a vacation. It was not a time where you took and gathered and caught up on everything. Uh, in fact, he was fine if it was a spiritual retreat or a business retreat or whatever it was. We call it a clarity break now. Yes. But he loved this idea. And at one of those, I remembered somebody had said, Jim, do you have a personal mission statement? And I didn't. And I got to thinking about that. I always took the big, the giant post-it notes, the two foot by three foot. Yep. I had those all over the cabin wall. And I had formed my personal mission statement. And I won't give you the whole thing, but the short form is I'm here to help people build stronger castles. And it's, it is in effect with every major decision I make. I love that. And you shared that one with me before when we were working on a project together. And th that's when I, I first learned some of this when I was like, oh yeah, we got to have Jim just tell more about his story. And some of that. Thank you. The building businesses, the helping people sell businesses, I quite frankly relate with the sentiment about being more a jack of all trades than a master of one. The last part of that expression that often gets left off, you know it? No, please. Jack of all trades, master of none is oftentimes better than a master of one. And... I'm sure some people would disagree with that. And there's, for certain things, I want people to be the master of it. Yeah. Right. When we it is a surgeon, we don't urge in being a, a, jack a brain of all surgeon, somebody who's working on <laughs> something that's going to fly into space, especially when there's lives on the line and things like that. All right. I'll take that, that specialist there. But I've also read a lot and heard people say, when you know, as you did, at such a young age, what you want to do. And if you actually do just see that through and stick with it, because you've already invested so much of your time and some of your effort, if you stay in that one path, that one lane your entire life, like knowing at an early age can be a curse because you don't get exposure to so many different things that you may have ended up liking a lot more or 
having this gift for this skill that you had not yet fully unearthed and you never would if you didn't diversify in some way and get exposure mm -hmm. to different things the way that you do. And I'm pretty sure you probably got a darn good idea of the the type of work that you're best at. Yeah. And sure, there's things like Colby and working genius and things that we talk about all the time that likely help. But through sheer experience and exposure to these different things, you probably learn pretty quickly. I like this kind of stuff. I don't like this as much or... <laughs> When we talk about delegating, we say, don't just delegate the least important things. Make sure you're holding on to the things that are at the cross section of, I'm very skilled in them. I enjoy them or get a lot of satisfaction and they offer a lot of value. Right. And if it's only two of those three, there's going to be something missing, whether it be productivity, effectiveness, or if you're just going to burn out then. Uh, but I, I feel like you through your own mission statement, through our interactions, you know yourself really well. And that probably led you then to what you're doing. So I guess, what would you say in some of the roles that you had as, as president, as owner or founder of some different businesses, like how did that turn into EOS implementation? What, what does that part of the story look like? And if there's some more to tell about when you moved into those senior leadership roles, when you were building some of these businesses, feel free to share that too. But I know there's a pivotal time when you were introduced to EOS that resulted in us having a chance to sit here today. I, from hearing you, I know that a lot of people refer to either COVID or 2008, right? I will just briefly. In 2008, I it was October of 2008. I started a brand new startup business for a different owner. I think it was on the third. And if I remember right, the crash was on the eighth. So that was literally our timing. Super, super gentleman, very honorable man. He owned like, I think five businesses at the time, and this was going to be our sixth. He would have stuck with me through the bitter end. I talked to him. I said, Hey, Bob, this is crazy. Let's not waste your money. Part of this business I started up was to be an internal service to his other companies. So we hired another engineer to fulfill that internal and I started looking around. Well, before I went very far, I get a contact from somebody that says, Hey, there's a company down here in Worcester near where you live. Mm -hmm. They're looking for a VP who can do manufacturing operations, all these things. So I checked that out. I ended up working for a company called Printke Romic, which was an introduction to me. It's a medical device company. They make voice devices for people who can't speak. Now, I am a ruthless capitalist at heart, Joe. Uh, I go into this place and I love it. I love the people, but I see opportunities for improvement everywhere. And we can be more efficient. We can spend our money better. Lean, Six Sigma, all these things, right? Yeah. Then about a month in, so I'm my, I think I had four or five departments. So my managers, I was pushing them a little bit right from the get-go. Super people, by the way, fantastic team. And I would tell them, look, we can't give everything away. And then they had this presentation. A young man came in. He was in his mid-20s. He had what we call multiple diagnosis. So he was cerebral palsy, had some mental difficulties, and he couldn't speak at all. But he had one of these devices. In his show, they called it, his parents said, you want to see his show. He would point at you with the biggest, most sincere smile you'd ever seen. And you would say, my name is Joe. 
and he would rapidly type on his machine and the machine would say back to you, hello, Joe, how are you? And he just did that over and over with person and person. I went immediately to my office afterwards, called my wife and said, hey, honey, I may lose this job, but we're going to give away everything for free because these people need it. It was just that kind of an impact on me. So working there for the next five years was fantastic, fantastic. But we con I say this and it sounds very unhumble, but I conquered that. I felt like I have impacted here a lot. My favorite thing, I've built a team who can do this without me. What's my next challenge? Because if we look at my Colby Joe, my follow through has a limit, right? Yep. In the meantime. And I don't think that's opposite of humble, by the way, Jim. It's okay. <laughs> like we talk about humble confidence and how there, there's that healthy overlap between humility and confidence. You have to believe in yourself and you have to have that kind of fire, right? Yeah. If you're just straight humble, a hundred percent without the confidence factor, you're probably not going to share your gifts or the things that you're uniquely excellent at with so many other people. So I'm glad that Thank you married those two. And I, I hope you see it that way too. I'm sure you do. Thank you. Um, but just to know how it comes across to me, like, yeah, if, if you don't think you're the best, nobody else will, <laughs> but you also have to know that you don't know anything and right. you're going to continue to learn something every single day. It's like this funny balance. Right. But I, I exactly. think you, you've mastered that. That at least comes across in every single interaction that we have. Thank you. No. But it, at the very least, I felt like I was looking for a new challenge. And coincidentally, a mutual friend said, hey, Bruce Hendrick, I mentioned at RBB, is looking for somebody to help him in his business. Bruce is a, a very wise man. But he had decided, he was the CEO of the business, and he had decided, hey, I'm going to fire our CEO and hire a new one. That's the way he put it. I came into that. So I went from a great job with a great stable company. We we're growing. Our care was a wonderful number every year to we're writing 90 day notes for payroll, Jim, just so you know, coming in. And it just was, it was me, Joe. Here's something to be conquered, something to change, something to make other people's lives better. Cause when you mess with somebody's job, you don't mess with their job. You mess with their life. Yeah. And I saw the challenge, went home, talked to my wife. She, she's, she supported me very completely and I made to jump. Um, and it was a difficult one. Aside from the fact I walked in on the first day and the whiteboard really gave me a gift. So I saw that I walked into my brand new office. One of the leading managers in the place came in and handed me a white envelope. And I jokingly said, oh, gee, I hope this isn't what I thought it, what I think it is. He didn't smile. He didn't say a word. And indeed, it was his resignation. We handled that. We handled that. The team around pitched in and made it work. It was, it was just a kind of a sea change moment for the organization, but it didn't get better overnight. Uh, we struggled for a while. Our meetings stunk. Great people where we were trying to solve a problem. We'd schedule a one hour meeting, two hours and 30 minutes into a one hour meeting. We're still Ooh. talking it to death. We finally think we've solved something. A month later, we're having that same meeting, solving the same problem. And I recognized, hey, the, we got to change something. Yeah. So I started looking around how to have better meetings. 
And what I discovered was something called the L10 meeting. And the L10 meeting, the level 10 meeting, from there I lear learned about EOS. And I actually went out and interviewed people at companies where they had started using EOS. Five out of six said, great, we love it. We'll never do it without it. The sixth one. How did that go? Like, did you, <laughs> how, how did you go about identifying them or? That's a good question. Reaching out to them to say, hey, will you share? I was also a member of a Vistage group at the time. Okay. Which, fantastic organization. Still in contact with all those people. Great. Yeah. So I asked some of them, do you know anything about EOS? Turned out a couple did. Who did you use? Who do you know? They all knew somebody they could put me on to. And it was, to me at the time, it felt like a secret nobody was sharing. Um, but they probably wanted to share. Yeah, exactly. They're, hey, can I buy you lunch and talk? You don't have to buy lunch. I'll buy you. Let me tell you all about it. Very excited. The one person who said, Jim, we tried it and it didn't work. Big multinational matrix decision-making, exactly the opposite of entrepreneurial. Yeah. That, that sold me. So I went into the owner and I said, hey, Bruce, we're going to try something different. He said, it's about time. <laughs> and we started down the road to EOS. Fast forward 28 months, instead of writing 90-day notes, we've got, can I say how much? We had a million dollars cash in the bank. We had, the only debt we had was some long-term debt that we had reduced. We went from plus or minus a couple percent, percent profit every year to a good 15, 16, 17% net year yeah. after year. Here's the thing I'm most excited about. When I finally decided to leave that job and move on, they kept that good progress going. The caveat being COVID. COVID hit them after I left. And that was both a win and a loss for them. But they've worked through that. They're back to great margins again. They're doing super. Still following the U.S. method. So it was, and what I told people was, I will never run another organization without a U.S. My, my operations leader, leader teased me about that. She'd say, Jim, you say that all the time. When are you going to put your money where your mouth is? So I called Ron. I called Ron Kaminsky and I said, hey, if I ever thought about, he said, come on up here and let's talk. So we talked for about two minutes. We both knew I was going to do it. He knew he was going to hire me into Culture Shock. Then we spent another 30 minutes figuring out how to do it. Yeah. We did. It was the first time in my life that I made a change that was not some sort of a promotion or an advancement. So that was a storm then. It was a storm. You hit on a couple there. It yeah. sounds like a lot of the changes that you made weren't like even that when you picked the phone and called the wife and said, hey, we're I'm moving into this one or... <laughs> A lot of these job changes were the road less traveled. Like they were storms that you made this difficult decision or just chose pain. Why do you keep choosing pain, Jim? What, <laughs> what is it that, that's drawing you to these next things that are so not easy or not comfortable? Uh, because you live it, that into the storm mentality. It's It comes through in our interactions, but also in every step of your journey, it seems. I don't know. Any thoughts or sentiment on that? Do you do this consciously or is it just hardwired, <laughs> subconscious, innate, built into you, built into you? That's a, so I'm going to be really vulnerable here. When I was telling you about the fishing trip with my grandson and my son-in-law said, pour some wisdom into him. And I, 
oh, I thought about this for weeks and months. What's the most important thing I would like this young man to remember that I've ever told him? And I found something hidden inside mistakes I've made, Joe. While the best things I've done in my life have been, I've got 61% of the information, I'm going to make a decision and go forward. Those have, that has also sometimes hurt me. Worse yet, it's hurt some people around me. When I decide to change jobs or start a new business or hire someone, there's a lot of other people that get drafted around that. So if, you, if anybody's listening to this and they hear me say, take a risk, jump off, that kind of thing, just remember, it's not just you, your family, your friends, the people you work for and with, everybody gets drafted in a decision. So I hope over the years, I'm doing a better job of it's a conscious decision instead of, oh yeah, we'll be fine. But I will tell you, that's been a growing thing for me and a long time ago. So I haven't just been huh. jumping off the dock. A long time ago, I decided I need to make decisions. Let's face it. When you're a teenage kid and you run into something, 99% of the time, you don't make a bad decision. You don't make a decision. Mm. You just go with it. So what I told my grandson was if I could do everything over and what I'd like him to remember about me is do things in this order, pray, decide, then act. And if I could go back to the things in my life, I think I could do much better. I could do much better. That's not to say that I regret these things. I regret mm -hmm. the hurt that's come from them, but not the experience. It's all been good. It's all been good. Wow. Thank you for being willing to share. Thank you. And that is vulnerable. That's something like I felt it when you were describing it because it's real. And while I think there is absolutely some truth and wisdom, even in the so being decisive has value, but we so often fail to realize how much power and influence we have over those around us mm -hmm. and how for good or bad, right? Like we don't recognize that we can do so much good in the lives of those that we care about or those that we're surrounded by. We also sometimes have tunnel vision and don't realize the unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. And that sentiment that you shared, it, it like shows your awareness, your mindfulness of how, you know, some of those moves, while yes, it was a storm and something that had challenged with upside that it, it was really conquering as a personal step, recognizing uh, how you eloquently put others would dr get drafted into every decision, I think is a, a pretty profound one. I appreciate you. you sharing that. Thank you. I'm sure I heard somebody smarter than me say that somewhere, Joe. I'm sure you didn't, but that's a nice way to just <laughs> lay it, lay or get out the butter knife and lay on some additional humility, Jim, <laughs> as you, you'll so often do. But so, you were introduced to EOS in that manner. You brought it into your business, said you'll never run it again, never run a business again without EOS, and then started to explore what it would look like to become an implementer. Right. Met with Ron. Yep. Joined forces at Culture Shock. What has that been like? Now break it down for us. Like the the entrepreneur, maybe the the way you'd explain it to people some of the things that have been most meaningful from it 
for you or some stories that you had with clients. Let's start with how you'd explain it. What is EOS? So for me, EOS, when I'm telling somebody you need EOS, the two words that I use are clarity and accountability or clarity and trust. They are very interrelated. But the words we use in EOS are, are clarity and accountability. Hmm. So why? If I'm, we also use the phrase hitting the ceiling. And this can be anything from a revenue ceiling, a performance ceiling. I just want to do something new and different. Maybe it's a ceiling created by the environment or the economy or a competitor, but there's something that's stopping you, that's yeah. keeping you from growth in, in numbers, in quality, in value. One is always when you ask somebody, what's your biggest problem running this business? They say people. Most of the time they include themselves in that equation. I think that's wise. So what problem do people have? They, nobody's accountable for anything. Nobody takes ownership. Okay, good. Are they clear on what they own? So let's be clear. Let's have clarity. And then let's keep everyone accountable, including ourselves. So, you know, here, Joe, we have our L10 meetings and we hold all, all each other accountable. Hey, Jim, you said you were going to do this. How's that going? Hey, Joe, you're working on the podcast room. How's that going? It's not browbeating anybody because the question we follow up with is, how can I help? So it's not who's to blame. It's what do we need? What are we going to do? That's really accountability. But it is a mind shift from people who say, that's not my job. I look through my job description, it doesn't say specifically this, to people who say in a meeting in front of others, that's on me, I've got that. And it is on them, whether it's great results or not great results, that ownership is critical. Yeah. So how can we foster that as leaders? We have to be clear. And to be clear, so I'm gonna get into my other big thing here, which is the five abilities of a leader. Okay. So this is pure Lencioni. It comes from his book, The Five Dysfunctions, and the five dysfunctions of a team, trust, yep. conflict, right up that ladder. So what are the five abilities of a leader? Simplify, delegate, predict, structure, and systemize. I think I said them in the reverse order. It's systemize and structure. I love that order mainly because that's the order we get to it. If I'm a leader in an organization and nobody's able to get all their work done, I probably am making things too complex. I probably have 51 different exceptions to every rule. Instead of letting my people know, hey, here's the three ways we do it. This is the way our organization runs. If you get an exception to that, you are empowered to do this and this. Otherwise, let's get with the team and figure out how to help it. That's the simplify. The delegate, number one, you've got to have a good structure before you can start delegating. You have to have clarity before you can start delegating. And the biggest thing you need clarity on is yourself. What can I do well? What am I micromanaging? Then predicting. And we're not talking about predicting the next recession or the next COVID. We're right. talking about, are we going to need overtime next week? I don't know. We have to wait till next week and see. Sorry, no, that's not a good answer. People need to plan. You need to plan. Let's look at the data we have. Let's make our best prediction. 
Yep. Form a hypothesis based on the information in front of you or exactly. have that big picture forward thinking way of looking at it, right? Exactly. Yep. You're going to be wrong. And we'll fix it. We'll adjust it. We'll move on. But still having an educated guess or prediction that you then make sure is clearly communicated with other people. I get it. All right, I, keep going. I talked earlier about one of the mistakes I'd made in the past, and that was it. I couldn't tell my people if they needed to work overtime on Saturday till Friday night. They hated it and deservedly. So without knowing how we were going to do it, my leadership team came to me and said, Jim, can we tell everybody on Wednesday if we're going to need to work on Saturday? Because that's a brilliant idea. Let's do that. Nobody knew how, but as soon as we told the rest of the team, we will tell you by Wednesday afternoon so you can plan. Oh, we were brilliant. They didn't know how we were going to do it either, but they thought we were brilliant. And we made that work. We made that work, and it was, it was a relief to everybody, especially me. That simplify, delegate, predict, and then the systems. And systems are just processes. And I'm a big believer in simple processes. I'm not talking about the Ooh, row of binders on your wall. It can turn into oh, a yeah. manual, the process guide that will take you a, yeah, <laughs> to go through that nobody's really going to follow. I had a good experience in one. So back in the days when I worked in packaging, we would set up a suite. We called it a big room where we would do some contract job. It might be there six days, six weeks. We had one suite with two different lines and they're packaging a product. I don't remember how many people in the room, but there were 13 different languages spoken in one room. Wow. Many of those people spoke one language. Nobody spoke them all. So our... SOPs, our work instructions, everything had to be very simple. And what they came up with, I can't take credit for this. What they came up with was pictures, one laminated picture front and back, because everybody could read the digit one, two, three, with arrows with a one and a two and a three. That was the things you should have been trained. Oh, I set one, then I set two, then I check three. If you didn't know what you were supposed to do with number seven, you go ask your leader. And it was an amazing difference. So when I talk processes, that was a full process. Simple. Yeah. If, you're, if your kids or grandkids play with Legos, they make some of the best processes in the world and they use no language at all. You're right. right. I've done visual merchandising direction and field communication where I'd work with different business units and find out how can we make this most executable by thousands of people in different locations all across the country. And often it was realizing we overcomplicated it. We need to make it simple enough for everyone to look at it quickly, but also give them the benefit of, of the doubt that they're smart, they're capable, they're going to figure it out. Yes. You don't need to over-engineer instruction, right? That's where that, that simplify and the systematized components of this five leadership abilities really resonated with me. Have you seen the Candyland figure I have on my desk? Yes. That's fantastic. Do you know, did I tell you the story? Of that? No. All right. I, I've got the little Joe, green. you've got a lot of figures on your desk. <laughs> Here, there's a couple over there. They, my little tokens, they each mean something. They're a way to remind me. I figure some of them I'm going to get tattooed because the desk is starting to fill up and then I can at least look at my arm and be like, oh yeah, say less. But the Candyland one in particular 
is something that I would bring to meetings with my team before something went out in a mass field communication to, as a reminder, keep it simple, shapes, colors, numbers, don't overdo it. Mm -hmm. And I, I keep that as my, I'll look down at it and remember, oh yeah, it's my kick in the butt, my self check to say, could I simplify this? Could I make it easier to understand, save people time? And when you were describing that process for 13 different languages and how you went about doing it, even if it was somebody else's idea, you can take partial credit for it, Jim, it's all right. I think there's absolutely something meaningful there for leaders to realize, because that's a gap area mm -hmm. is there's not, when people think of leaders, they're not like, they're all really good at simplifying. Ron's really good at simplifying. Some of the people that I think of in peak leaders are, some aren't. And I can see why that's such an important piece of EOS for you. So what about the last one then? So I think you hit on the first four. Structure. So structure is, that's where accountability lives, but also where strategy lives. So what we tell people is, we call it our accountability chart. But what we tell people is, this is your structure for the next six to 12 months. Hmm. And I encourage people to have like tabs in an Excel sheet. All right, this is your written structure, your hard copy structure. What's the next one going to look like? When do you want to go to that? And for those not familiar with EOS, or at least not operating on or implementing EOS, we're talking about essentially common language and org chart. But, but I, on, I throw up a little bit when you call it that. On, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, but but on some steroids with a different take, there, there's we'll save the the full blown like tool review of an accountability chart for a later one. But when you're describing this, I think that's a good way people can visualize. And I guess just keep that in mind. If you can, at a high level, explain simply uh, the accountability chart. And, sure. You know, well, simplest form. And let me say it this way, the difference between an org chart and accountability chart, accountability chart is what seat, because we always build the seat and then figure out who goes in that seat, what that seat owns, not tasks they should do, but areas, responsibilities, accountabilities that they actually own. Mm. And Joe, this runs from the bottom of your organization to the top. It makes it clear to everyone. And by the way, this seat is accountable to this seat does not mean you can only talk there. Communication goes across the board, but accountability is a very direct. There are no dotted lines. There's never more than one name in a seat. Your, your name might appear in more than one seat, but there's never more than one name in a seat because if more than one person owns something, nobody, nobody owns it. That's it in a nutshell. We say there's seat and roles. Think functions, think areas that I own. And I won't drill down any further than that. It is a powerful tool. Kimberly refers to it as the root of all evil, which I always smile, but she's right. If there's a problem with how things are going, let's start with the accountability chart. That gives us the best picture of what it ought to be. Now let's see where the root, where the evil really lies. The clarity aspect of having the absolute role associated with the seat uh, was a big one for me. I was like, oh, that makes... Too much sense <laughs> to break it down this way. So yeah, thank you for that. And those five leadership abilities, I, I think hopefully everyone listening can find something there that's relevant and meaningful for them. And 
that they can sharpen their axe with a little bit, that they can apply some additional focus on. In every episode, we say, use this as a clarity break in some way. Yeah. Use this as a moment to pause, to self-assess, think about what are the things you're really good at? What are the things that you need to put some additional care and effort into strengthening? And I'm sure there's one of those five leadership abilities that each person recognizes, hey, this isn't necessarily my top strength. This is somewhere that I should take some deliberate or intentional efforts to get better in. So I'd encourage everyone to do that. I would as well. One of the things from my work with my EOS teams is I see after, let's say, a year, four or five sessions, we have issues list where here's some problems, some issues we need to solve. Yeah. And we use that terminology. We say, okay, which of the five abilities do we need to pour some extra on this issue to get it solved? Mm. It, it's a great word picture of what we can do to move forward. And it, it helps us sharpen our, what you said, sharpen our ax, make a finer point. Yeah. When groups have a system like this, it gives them clarity because there's common understanding, common language, common tools. Everyone's rowing together, right? It's not that you've got John over here who's introducing this way of thinking or uh, philosophy or, or tool that nobody else has seen while Susan has her own take on things. Just getting on the same page is so important. And I'd felt that with different systems, tools over the years, but not assembled in the such a way that EOS that just perfectly puts a bow on it and makes it easy if you're entrepreneurial minded. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some larger organizations implemented successfully at a division level or like, I'm going to find a way to muscle this thing mm -hmm. in. I know our, our target market for EOS clients is a little bit well, small to midsize. Mm-hmm businesses, but we're not talking about companies that have 10,000 employees unless they do truly have that entrepreneurial mindset and a way of right. doing it at a you know division level, right? Right. Who, who would you say? What is that kind of, is there an ideal target market or client that you've That's a great question. seen for EOS? So my current clients run from say 15, 17 employees, two, $3 million a year, up to around 200 million, maybe 200 employees. I know Kimberly, Ron, they have some larger than that. We generally don't go smaller than that. The, the rule of thumb is, are you entrepreneurially led? So for example, one of my clients is multinational, multi-continent, but they are led from the top by six people. And those six people know the business inside out. They could go down and work on the floor of any place, right? They're not a big corporation where the decision, this decision has to go through this committee, that entrepreneurial mindset that you just said. And let me turn this around on you a little bit, Joe. You're not an EOS implementer, but you work with a lot of our EOS teams mm -hmm. from the into the storm. What do you see? that is different? What do you see that, that, wow, this is the mojo feels different here. What do you see? With those that are operating on yes. EOS? Yes. The meeting effectiveness stands out for sure. 
but I think it's the rocks, mm. like the quarterly initiatives, the, okay, other people may have a, a hand to play in these, but ultimately it's this person's resource. The way that rocks tie into our level tens and are milestoned with cascade information so that, that way anyone affected or involved knows this is what the company is working on, this is what's important, who is responsible for it, and the progress being made against it. Mm -hmm. That has been something I, I hear, I, I see, and I've lived uh, that are probably some of the most meaningful aspects or, or unique aspects of it. As far as target market, like I, even some of the clients I work with are not necessarily right-sized for EOS, but I also have interactions where, like, with everything that we do, we're influenced by countless different things. Find what's relevant. Find what's meaningful. Find something that helps you grow mm -hmm. and make incremental progress. And when I talk to somebody who's maybe a, a huge organization that are, is not entrepreneurial, I'd still recommend traction. Oh, absolutely. I'd still recommend anything from the library or the tool set as a way for you to just get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And I think there there's a purity component of it when you are right size that you, Ron, Kimberly, help organizations kind of stick to because you can, it can get really muddy, right? If yes. there's Chad OS and <laughs> Bill OS hybrid. instead of EOS, these right. hybrid forums. But I think for everybody, as with as much as you're consuming, as you're influenced by, exposed to, if we can just get more disciplined about capturing it in some way and taking intentional actions to mm -hmm. implement and make some progress on it, I think we'll be in a better place. I think that's... And I would throw this in as well. It is about people who want to make a change. They want to be different and better. Some of my clients are not businesses. They're nonprofits. A church with three different campuses. I have some yeah. pure nonprofit organizations, but their leadership team, they know they've hit a ceiling. They know they are working for the greater good, which is another very large aspect of EOS. What is the greater good for this organization? And I have absolutely no dichotomy in my head. It works well for these groups as well. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a bona fide capitalist, but when I see this work so well in nonprofits, it's about making a change, making it better. Yeah. People in every company and group I've been a part of, there's an attempt to get everyone on the same page and rowing together. But I'd never seen something else quite like a VTO, which vision, traction, optimizer. Right, right? organizer. Vision, track, vision, traction, organizer. What's a VTO? Can you explain that? I can. And I laugh because I've got a nerdy little admission to make as well. But so you have a vision page, you have a traction page. There are eight questions that you answer about your organization. And this becomes your touchstone, your guiding. It helps you make decisions. It helps everybody get on the same page of where we're headed. What are our priorities? What are our core values here? Yeah. And it's not, we don't, these aren't aspirational. They're not the promotional poster on the wall, the inspirational poster on the wall. These are real things and qualities we have now. 
And they are used, this is the secret, they are used to hire, fire, recognize, and reward from top to bottom. They're actually used somewhere, not, yes. not as just fancy writing on the break right. room wall or in the onboarding packet. Yes. But the, you're talking about the values. They are the practical, values. pragmatic. Yes. And all of it. It When you've got that CEO or owner and they come in with the flavor of the month, this shiny thing that attracts them, you and I are both victims of that syndrome joke. We um, victimize others. We victimize uh, others. In that way, yeah. This, because we have as one of those eight questions, what is our core focus? What is our core niche? It helps us encapsulate or incorporate all the things that we should be doing, but it also helps guide the organization away from the shiny stuff. Yeah. So it's really good. So my nerdy little admission, my wife and I have our own personal VTO. Love it. We've used it for retirement savings. We've used it for projects we're going to get around. I hesitate to say this because it sounds like marriage counseling, but I will readily admit that it helps me communicate better. And she's always been a good communicator. Me, not so much. <laughs> but it really helps us. We don't do a weekly, but we do a regular. And it's really handy. Yeah. So I see it as an organization. I have one team. They laminated their theirs and put it up on the wall. And if they're in a meeting with the leadership team or some mid-manager team, and there's a big discussion going on, they point at it and say, hey, this thing we're talking about, this problem or this idea or this strength or weakness, how does it affect where we're headed in the next year, the next three years, mm -hmm. the next 10 years? Is it in line with our core values? Is this what we tell people we do? It's a great tool. Having it captured on a front and back, that this is what we need to stay true to. This is how we can actually make decisions based on what we agreed on, but also get others rallied around what we're all about and make sure that they're included, involved, and aware of what's most important to us as an organization. That's where I see it having so much value is I've seen you and other team members guide some of our clients through having a town hall or a mm -hmm. state of the union. What, is there an EOS term? We call it a rollout, yeah. right? An EOS rollout, a way of getting everyone in the organization on the same page in review of that VTO document. And then there being some sort of update mm -hmm. to what's happening with it is just brilliant and simple. And I, I think that's really something every organization can benefit from. And it's it helped me jump right in mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. culture shock and make decisions based on you could see that here's how we do it here and here's who does it here and here's what they right. do yeah otherwise i would not have had nearly the level of confidence putting my thumbprint on the sort of things that i have because i would have been questioning if this decision was in line mm -hmm. with what got us here and what formed culture shock and because of that i can constantly look to it and say does it align with this core focus, these values? Can I say, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. I, I know that I, everyone else will be aligned and in support of this because that's our North Star. Right? Exactly. I don't want to beat it to death, but I just no, felt like that was I an important one. I would say this, though. It is so powerful and so important that I give it away. If anybody's listening and they're like, hey, Jim, could we get a VTO? Yes, 
I will come sit down with you, show you how to use it and leave it with you for free. Awesome. Okay. So, so it's I'll, just, I'm a believer. In the description, I'll make sure that your information is on there. If you're curious about what this looks like or how to actually fill one out, you can reach out to Jim. I'll take he'll, care of you. We'll talk you through it uh, and at least get you off on the right foot. Yeah. Love it. What else, Jim? What would you say? We hit on quite a few things. This isn't the only time we're going to have you on here. Okay, so I thanks. don't want either of us to feel like we got to get it all in. I'd like the listeners to hear more about the time as an implementer and the storms that you face, some of the things you overcome and that your teams have overcome. We can do a few more episodes in the future. What would you say, though, you're great at distilling wisdom down and the way that you (laughs) shared that story about your personal best and how you, you shared that with your grandson, right? My grandson. How would you do that for our listeners? Like when you think about, I'm sure we have some folks that are executives and owners tuning into this, but also emerging leaders, first time managers, middle managers, people looking to grow their career. What would be your sentiment, wisdom, advice, anything that you did not yet get a chance to share that you think could help somebody who might be listening to this today? That's a great question, Joe. I can tell you this simply. So I started my first business in 1995 and it was a great run. I love doing it. I'm still proud of that work. I still have a lot of friends. We used to work together there. Had I a business method then like this, I might still just be doing that business. Or I might have moved on to 20 new things. This is a... This is something they don't teach you in school that I purely wish they would. It is such a foundational, fundamental tool that that's the best thing I can say. I wish I had learned it a long time ago. We're talking EOS. We're talking EOS. And that says something. So I know that was one of the topics I wanted to cover today, but with it having such a profound impact that you go back and tell your 25-year-old version, so like six or seven years ago, version of you, that that advice or, or wisdom. And, and also for our listeners, like, I'm sure everybody can take something. Yes. From it. Yes. And it, it can have that, a similar impact, if not the same, uh, r- regardless if you're a business owner or not. Like, I, I imagine, w- what would you say if I am a first-time manager, how do I dip my toe in? What what would you recommend? Um so the way I started, we'll send you a book. Give me a call. I'll get you a book. Read the traction book. Bear down on the L10 meeting. That is a skill that you can delegate up, down, or sideways. It will help you in any meeting that you have to run or any meeting you're in. Yeah. Fantastic tool. It's a great, as you say, a great place to dip your toe in. And frankly, it's a good starting point because that's a weakness for many people. When was the last time you were in a meeting you loved, Joe? Right. Well, a week or two ago. But yeah. <laughs> before that, some of them got pretty rough. Yeah. And at the end of it, we're like, wait, who's doing what? Did anybody capture that? Did Do we all have different notes and different action items here? Does anyone actually know what the other persons are? <laughs> Why did that take an hour and a half? I feel like that was the same meeting we had three days ago. Right. The list goes on, right? There, We've all been subjected to and probably subjected others to some really bad meetings. 
Yes. I love that recommendation. That's a good one. Thank you. Reach out to Jim. He'll get you a copy of Traction if you'd like it. Uh, uh, take you through the Vision Traction Organizer. Personal or professional, right? Do one for yes. the business or if somebody wants to do I the personal plan. glad to help you. He'd be happy to help. Jim is one of our coaches. Jim has worked with us onto the Into the Storm leader side, doing facilitation and team building. Jim is... Well, there's different levels of EOS implementer, right? or like yeah. So I'm a professional. He's a professional EOS implementer. He's a former business owner. He's helped people sell businesses, build businesses. He's an awesome human being. <laughs> uh, truly, man, I, I just I'm grateful to work with you. Uh, I love our dynamic and relationship. We've had some healthy conflict at times in some of our meetings, which we embrace. Uh, I don't think it takes anything away. In fact, I think it adds to. Uh, the dynamic and uh, the connection that we have and, and the great things that we can do together. So reach out to Jim. He is the man. Thank you, Joe. Anything else that you want to share with our listeners today before we wrap? Just really appreciate you having me in to talk today, Joe. You you do a great job with this and I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate you. And Thank I hope you. the listeners do too. They found something valuable in this. Like I said, you can check in the show notes, the description for the links that we mentioned regarding some of the books, if you want a copy of Traction, if you want to reach out to Jim, and anything else that we mentioned today, I'll make sure is linked down there. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that you'll subscribe, share this, like it. If you were just listening today, hop over to YouTube. We are recording video for all of these as well. And subscribe to our Culture Shock YouTube channel so that, that way you can tune into the video version of some of our episodes. See you next time. Yes, you did it. You hung around to the end on this one. I knew you would. I appreciate you. And I just wanted to tell you, thank you very much for tuning in into the Storm Leaders. I hope that you're finding something of value in each of these episodes that you listen to, and it helps you level up as a leader. Your people deserve it. Listen, we'd really appreciate if you take it one step further, share what we're putting out there on social media. If you're listening to this, hop on YouTube hit subscribe, help us grow this thing and get it in front of more people so that, that way we can make a direct and positive impact on more emerging leaders and ultimately more workplace cultures. If you do, shoot me a note after, joe at cultureshock.com. I'm happy to send you a free Buffalo t-shirt for your efforts. Thank you much. We'll see you next time.